Hello and welcome to Plant CEO. Today I'm super excited to introduce Ryan Bethencourt, the CEO of Wild Earth, to the show. Hi Ryan, how are you doing? Hey now, pleasure to be joining you. Yeah, great to have you here. Thanks, great to be here. So how you been? I mean, uh, it's interesting times uh, for Wild Earth, um, you know, with, with uh, I guess a lot of um, people on lockdown spending more time with their pets. So yeah. it's a good time yeah. to be a pet food company, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, honestly, it's, it's a great time for a lot of the shelters too. Uh, pretty much many of the shelters are now uh, entirely empty. It's, it's something that I think those of us that love animals could only have dreamed of. Um, and so, so we're finally seeing, you know, seeing um, kind of the re uh, the reconnection of 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 us of of human beings with with uh, dogs in particular and cats. Um, and so, so yeah, it's been it's been um, a strange time, especially during coronavirus and every all the challenges that have been ha happening uh, over the last uh, last last couple of weeks and couple of months. Um, but it has been a, a overall net good time to be a pet food company surprisingly right this is not something that uh i think any of us would have predicted uh there have been soup lots of challenges i think with all of us that are that are leading companies in this time um there is um you know challenges from you know pandemic challenges to you know lots of conversations and actions around racial equality um so it's been it's definitely been a a unique time to lead Totally. Um, so if you can take me back, um, how did you actually come up with the idea about Wild Earth? And it'd be great to also hear a little bit about your own background. So just to kind of rewind, um, I actually uh, co-founded Indie Bio. It's now the world's leading biotech accelerator. It was really a vision to help scientists become entrepreneurs. Um, I thought that we could use science to really transform the world uh, for the better for all of us. Um, you know, for the human beings, for the animals, for the planet. Um, and so the, I really view Wild Earth as a continuation of that mission. Um, I've been a longtime animal lover. I grew up with dogs and cats and lots of pets. Um, and I, I love animals in general. I myself am plant-based. Um, and one thing that I realized with a lot of the companies that we invested in built at IndieBio, about 30% of the future of food companies, uh, probably the most famous company you've probably heard of is Memphis Meats. But there were a whole bunch of other companies that we were the first investors and helped build from Geltor to Clara Foods. They brew egg whites to um, the Knot Company, which is now Latin America's leading plant-based yeah. food company. And so um, one reflection that I had was that there was no Beyond Meat, no Impossible Food for pets. Um, and I kept wondering, you know, what are we feeding our pets? Um, and the more I looked into it, the more shocking, honestly, I found it. Uh, especially as someone that believes that, you know, let food be thy medicine, you know, food is such an important part of our nutrition. And so um, I decided I had to, to, to start out on a mission to transform the entire pet food industry, um, starting with, you know, providing an alternative, which I thought was really high protein, but plant-based and very clean product. And that, that is Wild Earth. That is what we, what we do. Um, we're currently now a commercial company. Um, so we are available across the continental U.S. and hopefully soon uh, we'll be making some announcements about uh, new international markets as well. But um, that, that's our mission. That was really the inspiration. Um, one thing that people may find surprising, so there's a couple of myths and surprising things that, that, that people don't know about pet food. About 30% of the meat we consume in the U.S., 3-0, 
uh, goes to our pets. So that means about 30% of the factory farms that are run goes to our pets unnecessarily, right? They just need a clean protein source. Um, one of the things that people also find surprising is that there's contaminated meat in our pets' food. Somehow, euthanasia drug, plastics, and all sorts of disgusting stuff finds its way into our beloved pets' food. Um, we're, we don't have any of that. We want to change the entire industry so it stops doing that. And, and I think the, the third biggest myth, particularly around dogs, is that dogs are carnivores. They're actually not. They're omnivores, so they can survive and thrive on a plant-based diet just like us. Interesting. And I guess with the pandemic and um, a lot of the factory farming um, big players shutting down, the, the meat has been, you know, not classified for human consumption. But uh, I hear from, you know, the posts that you've made that they are giving it to animals. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, terrible, because unfortunately, you know, the, the, the few protections that, that our pets actually had in terms of their food, um, they're now getting animals that have been rotting on fields, that have been gassed, that have had all sorts of horrible things done to them. Um, and their bodies, their carcasses have been kept in terrible places, right? Think about what happens when you leave a, a rotting carcass, a rotting body out in the field. Um, that's, that's what our pets are going to be eating. And so um, it's actually probably done nothing to help the quality of pet food. And it, it's likely that it's deteriorated significantly the quality of the food that they're, they're being fed, which is really disappointing. Um, and it's something that, you know, I've hoped that we could avoid. Um, and and we, we are to a large extent with Wild Earth. A lot of people are actually going to wildearth.com and ordering Wild Earth to try and not feed uh, their pet's conventional kibble. How has your um, food uh, actually changed the, the dog's behavior? I mean, I guess you must have customers coming to you and say, they used to be on a, on a meat diet and now we've seen a difference, like a behavior or any sort of health conditions. It'll be great to yeah. talk about that. So the biggest feedback we get around is around allergies, improvement in allergies. So uh, a lot of pet parents uh, don't realize that actually um, many of the top allergens in, in, for pets actually comes from animal-based protein. So many dogs are allergic to chicken, to pork, to beef, to you know, certain, certain types of fishes. And so um, that, that's actually very surprising for them. Um, we had mostly anecdotal data um, up until about a month ago, about two months ago, about a month ago, two, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, yeah. um, we actually did a survey. So we're going to be publishing this uh, actually uh, next week. So this is kind of hot off the presses. So it's not not out yet. We yeah. ran a, a survey of 425 of our customers, so a large statistically okay. significant sample, and we basically asked them, you know, you've been feeding your, your dogs wild earth for the last three months. Right. What have you seen? Yeah. And so 85% of our customers actually said they saw improvements in, in the healthiness of their pets. Um, and so that's everything from, you know, 50% improvement in itching and scratching, uh, roughly 50% improvement in like kind of allergies and, and like the symptoms of those allergies, which is huge. Yeah. Um, and we saw some other interesting things around digestion improvements. I think digestion improvement was like 40% breath and odor improvements of over 40%. Um, so the dogs, obviously, if you have cleaner digestion, cleaner food, cleaner products, yeah. the animal is, you know, doesn't smell as bad. Yeah, you said, you said about the breath, because that's sometimes a big problem on, on dogs. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, and let's be honest, for those of us that have dogs, you know, we know that the proof is in the poop. Right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. so better poops. 
And so, so my, for my fellow dog parents, my dog Liza, she's wandering around somewhere in the background. Um, for my fellow dog parents, um, we know that if your dog's poop is too hard or they're having problems going to the bathroom, or if it's too soft, there's something wrong. And if, yeah. it's, if it's like not too hard, not too soft, and it comes out easy, you know the dog's feeling well, yeah. right? And that's the easiest way we can actually check on their health. And we also saw improvements in that. So we, we saw an improvement, I think it was over 40%. So you wow. know, really seeing dramatic changes, dramatic improvements. Uh, the most interesting actually, which was very unexpected for me, was yeah. we saw over 20% uh, increase in hip and joint health. Okay. Um, and so, so obviously, you know, for, for more senior dogs, um, as, as dogs get older, um, mobility is a big problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and we think, our hypothesis, we don't have the data yet to prove why that might be the case, but we think that it might be, as we've seen with human plant-based diets, if you reduce the amount of inflammation in the system, it makes sense that actually it would make movement a little bit easier. And yeah. so we think, you know, our, our, our thesis, our hypothesis is that we're actually reducing inflammation um, wow. in the system of, of, of the animals. And that's resulting in all of these, you know, these, these, these really like wonderful improvements in the health that, that, that pet parents themselves are reporting. Yeah. I mean, totally. Like, uh, I guess the, there's, there's been quite a lot around meat causing inflammation in food. Um, uh, I actually spoke to somebody today who's trying to promote more turmeric in, in diets and, and powders and protein supplements and stuff, because that also quite an ancient Indian spice, but it actually, you know, does uh, reduce inflammation as well. I love turmeric. Um, I think it's a, a phenomenal spice. And, and yeah, it, it's actually, I think the theory is that actually one of the reasons why, you know, we see some, you know, some health advantages, uh, particularly in Indian populations, actually turmeric, right? And so, so, yeah. so for that, um, you know, I, I personally eat a lot of turmeric. So I think <laughs> right. it's great anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Also, I, like there's, there's been some interesting data around like Alzheimer's and some other things with turmeric. Also studies for reducing diabetes and even cancer, but... Which, by the way, all makes sense, right? So if you, you know, I, I actually come from the human health world. I used to help large biotech companies and, and pharma companies develop their human therapeutics for like cancer drugs or mental right. health drugs. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, if you can reduce inflammation, we know that inflammation is a net negative for any living being. If you have inflammation in your system, that is a bad thing. And so if you can find ways of reducing inflammation, everything from reducing cancer to diabetes risk, um, that's very, very good. Great. And um, thinking about um, when you started the company, you managed to get uh, Peter Thiel on board. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me about how you got to, to work with him at those early stages? Yeah, so, so it's really interesting. So um, this is one of the stories that I, I rarely talk about. Um, most people are, are mostly interested about how I closed Mark Cuban on Shark Tank because that's this kind of big public event. Um, but Peter Thiel is a really interesting thinker. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's controversial because he yeah. basically says what he thinks and he yeah. acts on what he thinks. Uh, he has a tendency of being right. Whether you like it or not, he has a tendency of being right. And so, um, so, so I, I, I met Peter uh, a handful of times um, in Silicon Valley, just through various different events. I actually originally pitched him uh, in Bio before we started in Bio. He was very interested in it. He nearly funded what, what went on to become in Bio, uh, but he, he wanted to virtualize it rather than make, building a lab. He was like, can we make it less expensive? Ah, okay. So after after Bio, I reached out to him again. I said, hey, you remember when I pitched you in Bio before we started in Bio, before it was even had a name? Um, it was a just a biotech accelerator. Um, and he was like, yeah, I do. And I was like, look, 
I'm starting something new. I'd love to talk with you about it. Um, do you have time to meet? And so it was honestly super hard to get onto his calendar. I think he canceled three times. So I actually, uh, twice. So twice I actually went to go and go and go and see him in the office and he, he actually wasn't there. He was like literally traveling or somewhere else. <laughs> so, you know, it was really tricky to get hold of him. Yeah. I, I think fourth time was the charm. Fourth time wow. for entrepreneurs wow. that are watching. Fourth time was the charm. Yeah. I'm glad uh, you had the persistence. Not, not even the third time, right? The fourth time was the charm. Um, and, uh, and, and Peter and I met. Uh, our meeting went over. So we, we were supposed to meet for about half an hour. It probably went on for like 45 minutes, nearly an hour. Um, Peter was probably one of the most surprising pitches that I've done. Because um, I was ready to talk about pet food and why it's so important. Um, and most of the other VCs that I talked to were like, uh, we don't care about pet food. It's not interesting. That's not an area that we think is important. We don't think it's impactful. Um, it just wasn't an area of interest for, for most venture capitalists that I've pitched. And Peter got it immediately. It was really interesting. I was ready to start my pitch. Okay, Peter, this is why pet food. This is why I'm not doing human food. This is why I'm not doing human therapeutics. This is why I think pets are so important. Um, and he understood exactly. He was like, look, you don't need to tell me about the pet market and the pet industry. I think it's a fantastic industry. It's a large industry. Next. And so I, I was just kind of like stunned there. And I was yeah. like, as far as I'm aware, Peter doesn't have a pet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, he just, he just understands things at such a deep level um, that it's just kind of shocking sometimes when he understands it. And, you know, he and I talked uh, a lot actually about food and nutrition and health. And I was like, look, I, I have a, a hypothesis um, that the health benefits that we've seen in humans for plant-based diets, we can bring those health benefits to, to our pets, right? We can bring those to dogs and for cats, it's a little bit different. Um, because we have to tailor some of the nutrients for cats because they are obligate uh, carnivores. It can still be done, but it needs a little bit of tailoring with biotech. But for dogs, dogs can survive and thrive on a plant-based diet. And so um, I was like, I think we can show health improvements in those dogs. If we, if we do this at scale, and if we become a big enough company, we can actually show people that not only are the health benefits plant-based diets present for humans, but we can also show that for dogs too. Um, and he found that fascinating. And so I shared with him some a little bit of data that I had. Um, and he was like, look, if you think you can actually extend the lifespan of dogs by changing their diet to a plant-based diet, that's mm -hmm. very interesting. Because that's the start of, of really thinking of, you know, at a, at a core, at a very deep level around nutrition and health. And, and that's something that, that really, he hadn't seen any other company in, in the pet food space really doing that, right? If, if we think about who the pet food companies are, we have different brands, you know, we have Purina, Pedigree, Blue Buffalo, Natural Balance. These are all owned by the same food companies we all know, right? Yeah. So General Mills, Mars, Nestle, um, those are literally the same companies that own all of the pet food brands, the majority of the pet food brands. Mm -hmm. And so there's been relatively little innovation in the entire space for decades. And so, uh, I, you know, Peter got it and he actually... He, um, he cut us a check from uh, Founders Fund and from Teal Capital as well. And yeah. so he was our lead. That was, honestly, he, and he made that decision within 30 minutes. Wow. It's yeah. amazing. So yeah, um, yeah. kind of shocked. I walked out and I was like, okay, that's it. Okay. Peter's decided he's in and that's it. And, and he was true to his word. You know, yeah. He, he and it's a very important mission you're solving. Um, and it's a, it's a big picture thing as well, especially if it's, you know, if it is 30, that 30% is huge. Like if you look at the impact, I mean, I, I thought to myself, about, 
the mission, you know, um, beyond and impossible. I love both those companies. I love both those founders and those CEOs, both the Browns, Ethan and Pat, Pat Brown. Um, but, but in terms of impact, if we can move even a small percentage of our pets to a plant-based diet, that's going to have as big an impact as impossible and beyond together. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so, so, so that, that, that's really our mission. Like we think we can be as impactful as beyond meat and impossible foods, if not more so, right? Yeah. Because our pets eat meat twice a day, right? At every meal. And so it's just a huge number in terms of volume, sheer volume. And um, we, won't, we won't dwell on Mark, Mark Cuban so long, but, um, but do you think uh, he's willing to be the next president? Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I have a theory around that. He always, he always jokes around about that. Sometimes I'll, uh, I'll like joke with him and then he, 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 rare, he occasionally jokes back about it. Um, but he is, you know, I talked to, to his team, the Mark Cuban team a lot as well. Yeah. And they all, they all think that, you know, 20 Mark Cuban or Cuban 2024 is on the cards. Um, I think that if he, if he got enough popular support, he'd probably do it. He is just tired. He's tired of, of like this, you know, these extreme politics on either side. He's a pragmatist. Mm. And so he's an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, he believes in equality. He, you know, he, he believe he believes in like, really, I think the core fundamentals that I think most of us in the U S believe, right. That, that it's important that people have education, healthcare, affordable housing, and have the ability to, to become entrepreneurs and to create something great and, and to dream. And so, you know, he is, I, I honestly, he's been doing so many interviews. Most of them don't have too much to do with, uh, just general entrepreneurship, Right. Um, but he is supporting, he, he's actually done a lot to support, um, you know, the general entrepreneurship community, um, he, the Latino uh, community, he's done a lot to support the Latino community, the black community in the US. Um, so he's, 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 you know, really reaching across every political divide and, and really focusing on the things that matter, being a pragmatist. He's not, he's not trying to be left and right on things. It's like, he's like, no, 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 healthcare is important, full stop. Uh, uh, housing is important, full stop. Equality, important, full stop. Entrepreneurship, important, full stop. Reasonable taxes, important, right? So he, yeah. I think he gets it. And I'm, I, I personally, I'll vote for him, uh, whichever party he runs with. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, we'll see, we'll see. Cuban 2024, I think, is a possibility. Um, and, and a lot of reporters have, have kind of talked about that. Um, you know, I feel very blessed that I'm able to, to kind of talk to him on a regular basis. Um, and he's been, you know, such an incredible mentor and, and supporter on our mission as well. Um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is they see how tough Mark is, but, but Mark is really, really smart too. And so he, he, if, you know, he will change his opinion if the facts no longer match, yeah. even if he has a strong opinion, he'll change his opinion. And so, so I'm hopeful that that's the direction that the U S can move in, which is much more about, you know, leading the whole country rather than dividing us. Yeah. So. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I vote for him. He hasn't officially announced anything, but I think if he sees the opportunity as a pragmatist, if he sees the opportunity, he'll do it. Yeah. So one other interesting thing is like how you're selling your product. So you decided to mainly focus on the direct to consumer side. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, success with that model. If I think about the million dollar shape club being acquired uh, by Unilever, for example, um, there's a, uh, and this uh, reoccurring subscription model, where, where do you think the future of, uh, of that is going and consumer packaged goods? 
Yeah, I mean, so uh, Mike Dubin, the founder and CEO of Dollar Shave Club, uh, which was acquired by Unilever for a little over a billion dollars. He's actually still the CEO, still runs it, is one of our advisors at Wild Earth, and he has been pretty much right from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, he, he's really shared some really interesting perspective on where, where he's already seen it. I mean, he has, yeah. Unilever acquired them, and this is public information, when Unilever acquired them, they already had a million subscribers. So it's just Amazing. already a massive, massive business. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he, he provided us with some really interesting, unique perspectives around where we're going with direct to consumer. I think that, you know, the general trend is that we're going, we're, we're still kind of in the early stages, probably the, the end of the beginning of internet penetration and direct to consumer business models. Hmm. Um, I think COVID, interesting enough, has accelerated all of us. Yeah. Yeah. On the deep side, right? I, yeah. I think that's that's what we've seen across the board. Yeah. Um, prior prior to COVID, uh, last year I went to China, and China is is already super accelerated. Like it blew my mind that you could order toothpaste and someone would deliver it in an hour or two. You know, I know it feels like an eternity away, but in the U.S. last year, that just seemed mind-boggling. Like there w- there was no real service that could do that for you yeah. a, a year ago in the U.S. Today. Um, you know, you, you basically go online, you go to Target and Target will, will now makes Amazon look obsolete. Yeah. Because, because they, have delivery with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. they have a service called ship within three hours. Like you'll get all the, all the groceries and everything you wanted to buy at Target delivered to your door. Yeah. Um, within a couple of hours. Right. So, so now we've basically seen a shift that took, you know, a decade in China It happened within, you know, a couple of months in the U S. And so I think, um, e-commerce and unfortunately it doesn't look like the risk of COVID-19 is going away anytime soon you know we've seen we've seen what looks may look like a second wave happening in the U.S. as we start opening up our economies and so I think mm. we're just going to have to live with the risk of, of the disease for a while until we have a vaccine and that could still be a year two years three years away and so I think we're going to see um, we're going to see a shift in buying patterns that we've already seen I think this is not a temporary thing I think that we're going to see just a lot more e-commerce. Um, and when e-commerce comes back, and we've already seen the beginnings of that, in like New York and Los Angeles, e-commerce is going to be, um, is going to be interlinked with uh, the retail experience, and it's going to be an experience, right? It's not going to be just going to a big box store or, or to one of these, you know, like a Sears or Macy's or one of these old department stores. This is going to be much more integrated. It's going to be more like the target experience, which is, you can go to the store and buy, or you can just order online in a few, in a few hours, it'll be at your house. Right. Um, and, and it's going to be more of, a, of an integrated experience between online and offline. And I think one of the genius moves of, uh, of, of companies like Target, like uh, Walmart, is that they're using what was previously their weakness, uh, which was that they had these retail stores. They're using those retail stores now as fulfillment centers. So they're already in the cities. Whereas Amazon's outside of the cities and will take two-day deliveries. It used see. to be amazing to get two-day deliveries. And now, yeah. now if you're not delivering same day, it's, it's, it feels old now. Yeah, know? yeah. Overnight, obsolete. Yeah, well, I guess, and they would know, obviously, in that fulfillment center, which, and, and according to your location, they can commit to deliver in that time window. So they yeah. will. They give you options. They literally say, yeah. you want it delivered, you know, which hour of the day do you want it delivered? And yeah. it's, it's kind of amazing, honestly. Yeah. Do you think consumers will now start to really want to demand this once they see it happening with all retailers to change this way? That they, so. in a I way, so. become impatient. They just want instant, you know, instant goods straight away. 
Yep, I think so. I think yeah. that, yeah, I do. I actually think that that is, I think that that is going to create a huge amount of pressure. And what we've seen is, so I've, I've been studying um, the effects of pandemics, right? So uh, the original SARS in China in 2002, yep. 2003, yep. um, the plague in Europe, uh, Spanish flu in the US in the, in the, uh, in the early 1900s. Yep. Uh, all, all of these um, pandemics resulted in acceleration of trends that, that were happening in those societies. So, you know, for China, they basically went from, um, you know, kind of a, a backwards technology culture and, and, and really pretty undeveloped e-commerce infrastructure to literally a leader. They were leading, you know, the, most people didn't have not realized this. They haven't been to China. China, China is incredibly advanced. Like you go to the major mega cities like Shanghai or Shenzhen, um, they make technology in Western Europe and the U.S. look old. Mm. Yeah. Right? Archaic. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, and part of that acceleration was that they had to have contactless payments. They had to have cashless payments because cash is a great surface for a, a, a viral infection. And, 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 you know, then they had to have like, people were socially isolating. And so they had to have deliveries and, and people had to order online. So they had to make that available. Oh, so what you're saying is it spared that innovation. Yeah. It, okay. it accelerated that because it was necessity. Right. right. And we're seeing that in the U S too, right? Not just e-commerce, but oh, we're seeing yeah. that in terms of how quickly we're, we're developing vaccines or therapeutics or other options. Thinking about sort of, uh, maybe slightly controversial, um, uh, thinking about sort of health and, you know, psychology and brains um you've sort of experimented with psychedelics mainly magic mushrooms um yeah. can you can we can you talk to me about that and what your what your experience was like and you know the reasons behind it yeah i mean i you know i'm a big proponent of um you know what what i call plant medicines or shamanic medicines um i think that you know we humanity have co-evolved with uh plant medicines for literally probably as long as our species has existed. Um, yeah. my, my bet is that actually uh, before Homo sapiens, our ancestors were also using, you know, uh, magic mushrooms or, or um, you know, psychedelic plants or various other things. I mean, we've seen that from some of the cave paintings and um, some of, some of the, uh, even some of the ancient humans, right? Prehistoric humans that have been found, the shamanic humans with literally a little pouch with some mushrooms in those pouches. Those, those were, probably medicinal mush mushrooms right. um, plants. Yeah. Um, and so, so what I think is particularly interesting is that you know, th there's some theories around the evolution of human society and psychedelics. And it allows us right. to think of things in unconnected ways that really accelerated our creativity and our innovation. And so mm. um, you know, I, I myself have, you know, have obviously taken um, psychedelics and, and magic mushrooms. Um, I was really scared to do that, to be honest. Uh, when I grew up, and I know you and I have talked about this, Anand, when I grew up, it was like, don't do drugs. Drugs are dangerous. You will die. You have, you have one drug. It is terrible. You're going to die. You'll go to prison. You're going to be an evil person. Um, and it took me a really long time to unprogram myself from what, I, what society had programmed me and you and, and, and all of us um, to, to really start to ask my own questions and really question, why did our ancestors take why did our ancestors take psychedelics why yeah. like what was the purpose um was it just to get high like with like getting drunk or or was there something deeper behind it and i started to read about you know really some of the original inner innovators um 
and, and, and people who you know I greatly admired, right? From Ram Das from a spiritual perspective. Yeah. Um, Terence McKenna, who was kind of an interesting fringe uh, uh, experimenter. You know, I would say scientist. Hold on one second. Sorry, I, I, in the world of robots, I have a little robotic cleaner. And so the <laughs> robot was about to come in and start vacuuming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My yeah. dog, she's in here now. She yeah. ran away from the robot vacuum cleaner. So they're scared yeah. of those things, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, and then, and then, you know, so from a spiritual perspective, yeah. there was clearly something very deep and very strong there. Yeah. I mean, from, I'm really interested in, and in, in that part, like, uh, you know, how the spiritual connection and the, and the healing would work in that way. Not that I've ever tried anything, but I'm just like intrigued by people who have had the experiences with say ayahuasca or, or, or the mushrooms and what, what happened to them? What do they feel? You yeah. know, how did they feel connected to the, to the world and also other beings, animals, you know, when you, when you have ayahuasca, was, you know, watch this documentary where you're guided by this spirit animal that's meant to take you through this journey and, yeah. So did you have any of those experiences? Like, how did you feel connected in some ways when, when you took it? I, I did. And, and I think that, um, you know, it, 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 can, it can be a powerful way of understanding spirituality, your own spirituality. Um, and it can also be a powerful way of understanding uh, the nature of, of reality, of existence, and to, to start questioning it, right? To start understanding that, you know, the way we perceive the world is actually driven by how our brains process information. And so when you, when, you, when you add a psychedelic into your mind, it changes the way you perceive existence and reality. And that, for me, that was really an incredibly powerful um, perspective because suddenly you realize that, you know, we, you know we, are, we are machines of perception, right? That um, are based off of the, the the evolutionary necessities of perceiving things in a certain way because we, we grew up in a, in a very dangerous world, right? As a species, survival of the fittest uh, programmed our brains to function in a certain way um, and per, our perceptions to function in a certain way. And so, you know, with psychedelics, you can actually experience um, perception in ways that just I, I have not been able to access yeah. uh, in any other way. You know, I meditate. That's what I was gonna ask you actually. Do you think you'll be able to get it by meditation, being more mindful? I don't, I don't believe so. I mean, I, I've talked to, to plenty of people and I've talked to some, you know, Buddhist monks who, who you know, who've said, yes, you can definitely get there. Yeah. Yeah. States of meditation. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I mean, you know, when you talk to people about psychedelic experiences, it almost sounds like they're making it up. Um, and it's because if you haven't experienced um, being in psychedelic states, you, you don't see the sheer power of the mind to, to project reality, to create reality. And so, you know, when I've taken psychedelics in the past, um, and these were usually, usually moments where, you know, I don't take it as a recreational thing, right? I take it as something where, you know, um, this is not a toy. This is something that um, actually in human medicine, we're now starting to use psychedelics to treat depression, PTSD, yeah. um, you know, really treatment resistant issues, things that are actually life threatening for many people that um, are often underappreciated, like, um, you know, people who literally are so depressed, they want to commit suicide. Um, a, a couple of like a dose, 
um, can be enough to, to, to actually treat treatment-resistant depression, right, which is a huge risk for, for people hurting themselves um, uh, and, and ending their own lives uh, or, and just generally having a better quality of life. Um, it, but it, it, it comes with its own risks um, because it is very powerful. As, as for anything that's very powerful, you take it and you have to be very mindful of the fact that there's, you know, there's risk there, right? It's not risk-free. There are people who've been, who've been put into psychosis because of this, um, who have had a lot of challenges. Um, and, and, and so, so I, I, I'm not a proponent of like, hey, just take it like candy. This, that's not what I'm a proponent of. I'm actually a proponent of providing safe spaces for people to take um, these very powerful shamanic medicines um, if they feel a need to. Um, I think that it is a right of any human to be able to understand your own mind and your own body at a much deeper level. And I think that these, these, these plant medicines, these shamanic medicines allow you to get there. Um, for me, probably the most powerful um, uh, experience has been uh, falling out of time. Wow. And so, yeah, so it's, I, I've, I've experienced being stuck in a moment. And, and what I realized was that, um, there must be a part in our brains that tracks time. Mm. And so whatever was happening at the time, um, I, have been, I have been stuck in moments. It, for some reason, my brain on psychedelics, um, psychedelics affect my perception of time. And so I've been stuck literally in a moment that felt like it lasted for an infinity. It didn't, obviously, but it felt like it lasted for an infinity. It's very hard to describe that feeling of you're stuck in time. Um, I actually, uh, I, I experienced um, actually a very dark and troubling uh, um, experience where I got lost in um, what I can only describe as Buddhist hell. It was basically an eternally dark place where I wandered for an eternity in darkness. Um, and uh, it was actually pretty scary. Um, but what was interesting is when I came out of that eternity, I actually felt I'd lived an eternity already. And this was just, you know, one evening, right? Um, and, and I was shaking when I came out of it. And when I came out of that experience, um, I came out without a fear of death, right? Like this was um, darkness and nothingness doesn't scare me. Um, but it does give me an appreciation that we have such a limited amount of time while we exist here that what we do should matter, right? Um, yeah. And so, so like for me, uh, meaning is what matter matters. Impact is what matters. Helping others is, is what matters. Um, it, things like money or status or fame, they just don't drive me. If they happen, it's nice. I'm human. I, I it's not like I hate it. Um, but it's not something that drives me because I know, you know, I know life is fleeting. I know life is short. And so, you know, the thing that brings me joy is, is helping other people and helping animals and, yeah. you know, other sentient beings from, from our conversations that we've had together that you're, you're, you're definitely there to, to, um, you know, promote the existence of all beings, uh, yeah. and, uh, better humanity in a way. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, the, the reason that we, you and I are able to live such great lives is because the beings the, the humans that came before us to kind of create these technologies all around us to, I mean, you know, right now I'm on, I'm on, I'm on an Apple computer, uh, Steve Jobs, you know, yep. literally, you know, created the Mac 
and 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 catalyze the personal computer revolution. Yeah. One of his big inspirations, and he actually talks about this, is actually how psychedelics really helped him understand like how to see creatively outside of the box. You know, the bicycle for the mind, which was the original idea behind the the, the personal computer. How amazing! And and that was probably inspired by you know reflections that he had while he was taking psychedelics. Mm, yeah, and. Um, with your background in uh, bioscience, mm -hmm. where do you think uh, the world will be going now? With you know what can be done on that on that side, especially when it comes to you know how it will impact your brain, how it will, how it will affect healing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that biology is is probably one of the most spiritual sciences on this planet. Um, it is, I think, the deepest science on this planet. I mean, there is there are industries in one molecule, right? If we understood how one molecule worked, one, one molecule of life, how it worked, it would unleash entirely new industries. So it is so deep that, that just understanding one simple, simple thing uh, creates entire industries like chlorophyll, right? The, the molecule that's used to harness light by plants, that, that appears to work at the quantum mechanical uh, level uh, to harness photonic light energy yeah. to turn that into food that we all eat yeah. that simple molecule feeds us all right all life on this planet and so you know just simple things like that and so for me um in terms of reflecting on intelligence and the mind yeah um you know the mind is an incredibly powerful thing more powerful than any computer mm. one day we will understand how the mind works and we will understand how to interface more effectively with the mind i mean essentially the mind is a highly adaptable um, highly adaptable processing unit that has a bunch of different inputs, our eyes, our arms, these are all inputs. Mm. And so what we know is that it is plastic. So th there's a theory that you could add more and the mind would learn how to interact with those components. So whether you're talking about Neuralink, I know that we talked about that earlier, or, or other um, attachments to the mind yeah. to exceed what homo sapien, what we as a species are, um, seems very doable. Right. A lot of people talk about transhumanism, um, which is like this melding of, 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 of man and machine, of humanity and machine. Mm. Um, and what I think people leave out is that we're already there. The mobile phone is your extension of your, you know, your database. Yeah. <laughs> your glasses, the glasses you put on is technology, right? You can't see without the glasses. That, yeah. That's technology. And, and where we're going, it's interesting. The elderly are our leaders, are our pioneers, right? If you think about the hip replacements, yeah. the makers, yes. right? You think about people with Parkinson's who already get electrodes put into their brain mm. and, and actually helps them control the shaking. Yeah. Uh, Parkinsonian, yeah. Uh, you know, the Parkinsonian shakes. So like they are pioneers, they are leading the way. So, you know, our elders are actually leading the way of melding us with machinery to help, right? To keep them healthy, to keep them um, healthier for longer. And so that is where we're going, right? We will age. And so we will be the pioneers for another generation um, of, you know, using new technologies. And it will get more and more melded with machinery and biology, engineered biology. Mm. And where do you think that technology will go, especially with um, when we're looking at uh, plant-based food? Uh, there's a lot around, um, you know, the cellular culture of, of meats. Um, I think some countries, I think it's a perception thing as well, whether they'll feel comfortable 
with scientists in labs creating their meat. Yeah. Um, I know different companies have definitely taken a stance where they, you know, is beyond meat, you know, versus impossible, yeah. etc. cetera. Uh, what's your feeling about that space? And do you think it will all become like the meat will become cellular based? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's always going to be plant-based and there'll always be cell-based meats. Um, what I think is interesting, so when, whenever, whenever I have this discussion around will cell-based cell meats happen or not, I would say, okay, hey, let's, let's forget the next five years. Let's forget the next 10 years, right? Let's fast forward to 2030. Mm -hmm. 2030, plenty of time to scale the, the lab-grown yeah. meats and cell-based right. meats. Yeah. Plenty of time to get it affordable. Plenty of time to make sure it's safe. In 2030, will there be any factory farms anymore? I don't think so. I think I think I think they will go bankrupt. Yeah. Right? yeah, they'll be bankrupt. Yeah. And so, what are we going to have? We will have cell-based industries, which will be like fermentation tanks, like breweries. Exactly. Yeah. And plant-based meat companies, which are you know going to be like factories currently. You know, yeah. same way you make cereals, you make plant-based meats. Um, that is what. Pro, the future of protein will look like in, in a decade. Yeah. And so, so forget, forget what's going to happen over the next 10 years. That, that's going to be churn, right? Froth. Some, some, you know, there might be meat might make a resurgence, like factory farm meat might make a resurgence, might go dip, might dip. That actually doesn't matter. It's what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Mm. Next decade, mm. we're going to see massive bankruptcies of companies that do not adapt to new technology because mm. food is technology. Yeah. And so, so that's what's going to happen. So I'm certain it's going to happen. Um, I, think, I think the vast majority of people will eat cell-based meat. I've already eaten cell-based meat. Um, it's fine. It's slaughter-free. It's yeah. just protein. As long as the, you know, it's not using this biovene uh, you know, to start the cultures from, which is, you know, not, is still blood from like, you know, baby calves um, to start the yeah. cultures. I yeah. think so, so, so that, you know, that's the um, fetal, bo fetal bovine growth serum. It's really right. gross. Yeah. Um, it's been used in biomedical research for decades. And now uh, many of the companies, uh, including the ones that I've eaten, actually eaten the cell-based uh, meat from, no longer use that growth factor. And so they, they've already figured out ways of getting rid of that growth factor that was previously required. Um, the majority of the companies are able to do that usually within six months to a year. Yeah. It takes them about six months to a year to figure out how to do it. Um, right. Different cell lines, different species, but they're mm. usually able to do it. And so... Um, I don't think this is going to be a limiting factor. I think yeah. Merck, KGAA, it's the German Merck. Um, they, they, they've launched an initiative to actually continue to lower the cost of these uh, animal-free growth serums. Yeah. Um, and so they, they oh, okay. make it currently. Yeah, they make it currently. They're based in Germany. Um, right. And they, they really want to be the leader in that space. And so they're aggressively dropping the price and finding ways to scale the production of that media. Yeah. So uh, I think it could could also form into more hybrid models, right, between cell and plant based, and you know, seeing what what differences that will bring. Uh, That's eventually where we'll go. That's eventually where we'll go. So uh, Ryan, so what's what's the future now for for Wild Earth? The future is we really want to be one of the leading um, healthy dog food companies on the planet, and so so that's really our our push. And so we're scaling within the U.S. Uh, we'll be we'll we'll be going international uh, this year, um, and we'll have some really exciting partnerships to announce soon. Um, so the aim is is really to transform pet food, starting with dog food, um, and and this year 2020 is is the year of, of dog food. 2021 we'll be doing cat, 
um, and we're going to continue to scale globally. So we think that there is a, uh, a huge opportunity and a huge need for sustainable, healthy uh, pet food. And we want to be the company to provide that for, for everyone on the planet. That's great. So yeah, I wish you all the luck with that. And uh, thank you so much for coming to coming on the show and um, talking to us. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, Bye-bye.